Good morning, everyone. We're continuing our lessons in uh, 1 Corinthians. If you would turn to 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. We've been reading uh, through a beautiful letter from Paul to the Corinthian brethren. And uh, it's, it's tough to read it, but it's still a beautiful letter all the same. Uh, he's telling them not to be divided. He is astounded by the things that they are allowing to happen, the things that they are enduring when they shouldn't be enduring them. And he's, we're at a section in the letter where he's actually starting to specify um, these, the things that they're doing that are contributing to all of this division and all of this sadness and all of this just uh, unrighteousness that is flooding through this congregation of who should be uh, a very strong, powerful assembly of God's people. And so when we look at the mindset that we see as we're reading this passage, we see extremes. And when I read this, I think about, when, and before we read these first six verses, I would like us to all think about just what we have seen in our own lives. I don't know if you've ever met anyone who thrives on confrontation, but, but they're, they're out there, aren't they? They're individuals that absolutely thrive on confrontation. Uh, I knew a brother when I was very young, and we were in Bible class. And uh, we would study a section of the Bible together, and he was leading the class, doing a wonderful job. And he'd look around and he'd go, well, we all agree then. And everybody would go, yes, yes, we agree. And, and he'd go, we, we, have, we have consensus on this, yes. And then he'd put both hands on the stand and he'd look around and he'd go, all right, let me muddy up the waters a little bit. <laughs> and I think to myself, why would you want to do that? You know, why, why is that? Um, it's a good idea to do that just to make sure that everyone uh, has a correct um, mindset and ability and focus on exactly what they should be looking at. But confrontation just for confrontation's sake. You know, that, that's what we're looking at here. And that's just a, an odd thing to have. We're talking about individuals that actually love to fight, which is a, a sad testament when it comes to Christians. Christians may have to fight, but they don't love to fight. And you're talking about people that love to argue they love to debate. Uh, their core belief stems from the fact that if, if they're not stirring a pot, unrighteousness must be abounding. You know, and that's, and that's just the idea of this. And, and, that's, and, and that's just not so. Now, perhaps also you might know someone that's a completely the opposite. They're what we call non-confrontational. Okay, no matter what's going on, they would rather avoid the conversation, avoid a potential deba debate or argument, because they just don't want to feel weird. They don't want to feel pressured. Uh, they don't want to fee feel the anxiety that is often uh, attributable to those situations. They, they have a life that is marked by fearfulness. Uh, and it's and it's actually bordering or, or dwelling in this this paranoia, this tendency that if anything is uncomfortable, then we're just simply not going to address it. If anything has a potentiality for debate or argument, we're going to just leave it alone. 
And that's where we find ourselves quite often. Uh, very, very um, few times will we find someone that's kind of a third type. Maybe in the middle. And maybe you've met that person. Uh, a debate or an argument happens, and they're the ones that say, okay, let's, let's calm down. Let's think about this. Let's, let's look at the scriptures. Let's study this. Let's look at your position completely. Let's look at your position completely. Let's see if we can find some kind of resolution here. Let's see if we can find uh, some kind of an answer that we all can agree upon that is a righteous and holy position to have based on the scriptures. Let's do that. They don't run, nor are they thriving for the fight. And it's interesting because uh, that third type is exactly what the scriptures demand of us. We're not supposed to be afraid to defend the gospel. We're not supposed to be afraid to, uh, to contend for the faith. But as the brethren always say, being contentious for the faith is a completely different idea. Okay, so being contentious is wrong, while contending is good. And, and it's something that is fair. And we just have to know that difference. And so when you read there in 1 Corinthians 6, I think you see that first um, point that we made on the, the last slide. That's really what's thriving here. This, this wish, this desire, this hunger, this thirst to stir the pot, to just fight. That's what they want to do. Notice what he says uh, there in chapter 6. The uh, Apostle Paul writes, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle the dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. How many of us look reasonably at every situation that comes before us? Not out of fear, not out of a wish to be contentious, but just reasonably. How many of us handle something reasonably? How many of us demand openness when it comes to any kind of, of conflict that needs to be resolved? How many of us are prayerful about such things? If there are two brother, uh, brother, two of the brethren that are fighting or arguing or debating against one another, or maybe we ourselves are involved in that argument or that debate, how many of us are, are set on reconciliation? I want this to be reconciled. I want there to be restoration. I want this to be resolved. How many of us are unsettled by disharmony? That's a, that's a real question that we must ask ourselves when we're looking at passages like this and reading them. It's interesting, I, I get sent emails quite often 
And I was reading an email and I opened it. Somebody said, you have to watch this video. And it was a Judge Judy video. As well as TV shows, right? Judge Judy is at the, on the stand. There's a plaintiff and a defendant. And, and the plaintiff is the one making the charge. They stole, these, this guy over here stole everything out of my purse. And so Judge Judy goes, well, what was in your purse? And the lady goes, well, I had about $200 cash. Uh, my phone was in there. I had some very expensive headphones. And she makes this whole list. All of a sudden, the defendant pipes up and he says, she didn't have headphones in her purse. <laughs> and Judge Judy just kind of looks over at him and goes, really? And then she takes her gavel. The guilty. <laughs> you just confessed. Do you see how how frivolous such things like that are? How odd it is. He was ready to argue over the fact that she was lying. You know, she did not have expensive headphones in there. Otherwise, I would have seen them while I was taking her money. You know, I, I would I would have seen them. You know, and, and so you you don't have a defense there. This is part of Paul's point. You don't have a defense when you do things like that. Please remember this. You are Christians. There's no way that you should be involved in this. Look at how appalling the division has become in Corinth. Litigation is a common practice now. And Paul demands that's because of sinfulness. Remember, we're reading, why did the time of judges end? Why did God stop raising judges in Israel? Remember, he rose all these judges and he couldn't find the man, so he rose Deborah. He's like, okay, Deborah, there are no decent men left in Israel. You have to take the lead. And she did. And valiantly. And then she, uh, her life ended. And then, and then he tried more and it just kept, it just kept going more and more downhill, didn't it? And what was the final testament in Judges? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. (laughs) That's why the time of Judges ends. Because nobody wants God anymore. And nobody wants His wisdom and His righteousness. And that's exactly what's happening. And look at what He says, everybody. Look at what He says about what wonderful judges we, as Christians, are to be. Does everybody see that compliment there? Does everybody see that encouragement? You know, Paul is is admonishing them. He's rebuking them. Because they're doing something they shouldn't do. But then he tells them the reason they shouldn't be doing it. And that reason is an encouragement. It's edification. It's proof positive of why they shouldn't be doing that. Because they are the most qualified and uh, judges that there are. They have quality if they have this mindset. They have the wisdom of God. And you know... When we look at passages like this, we sometimes say, well, let's study how we will be judges of the world or angels. That's got nothing to do with what Paul is talking about here. You know, I've heard brethren go off and wonder, are we going to be on like a council? You know, where we're going to be sitting there and angels are going to come by and we're going to go, bad angel. <laughs> you know, you're out of here. You know, and we look at that and sometimes they we want to dwell on that. And I, and I don't have... I have... I don't believe at all. (laughs) I have all doubt that Paul is even addressing that. He is telling us the quality of the judgment that we have access to by saying those. 
Are we going to be on a heavenly council? Who cares? You know, are we going to be prejudging before judgment day? Who cares? You know, are we going to be there on judgment day helping? Who cares? That's not the point. The point is, is what we read through the scriptures again and again and again. If you look at Daniel with me and just look with me in the Old Testament, please. Okay, if you look in Daniel there on the seventh chapter, chapter seven and verse twenty-seven. Notice what Daniel says. In Daniel seven and verse twenty-seven. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints. Of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. Daniel's looking forward to the church, isn't he? He may not have known that. He may not have realized that, but he's looking forward to the times of the Lord's church. Turn with me back to the New Testament, if you would, to Timothy, particularly 2 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, the second chapter, if you would look with me there in verse 11, it says there in 2 Timothy 2.11, the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. What that means is that the Lord is actually the judge of all. Not you and me. And He requires no intervention, does He? If God is the judge of all, and He is, if the Lord judges all hearts, all minds, and He needs no intervention, Paul is saying, neither do you. You are saints. The kingdom is delivered to you. You can handle anything. Because you have all righteousness available to you. All wisdom available to you. We judge with Him. Not in spite of Him. Not instead of Him. Okay, But because of Him. For Him. We can judge. Okay, Because He already judges the world. He needs no court. He needs no representative. If we share in the faith that, that, that the Lord gives, we are with Him in this judgment. And that's what Paul means. It doesn't mean you're going to be separated. It means He's going to be judging the world, judging angels, judging everyone. And you are going to be in agreement with that. Because you were faithful to Him. And he says, if that's the case, how can you not handle this? That's the powerful lesson. If that is the case, how can you not handle this? These are amazing words that Paul is delivering and sharing with the Corinthian brethren. Talking about this just quality attitude that we are supposed to have. This quality mindset. This quality ability that we simply have because we have learned, because we share the faith, 
because we share a common righteousness that is given to us through the gospel, through the words of the Bible, through the wisdom of God. That's why we have that. If you look back with me to 1 Corinthians 6 and look at verses 7 and 8, Paul writes, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your brothers. What a charge. How many lawsuits are we allowed between ourselves? None. (laughs) Not at all. That puts light on a lot of things we do in court, doesn't it? And I won't go there, that's a whole other sermon. But this is an interesting thing to remember. The way that Christians are to be with one another. Look at, he says, it's already a defeat. Now that's a legal uh, denotation there. It's a definition. It's a word that is used legally. Paul does that a lot. Um, and so he's saying, you lost the case already. Well, I haven't even gone to my brother. How did I lose the case? You lost the case with God. That's how. If you have any kind of litigation, if you go to court at all with your brethren and you can't resolve that, you've lost the case before God. It doesn't matter what the judge says. It doesn't matter if you win the case in an earthly court or you lose the case in an earthly court. You have failed in the sight of God. You have a spiritual defeat on your record now. You are doing the wrong things. Man, that is that is amazing. And we look at that and we think, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, the, the very act itself is a refusal of God's wisdom and God's justice? Sure it is. Does that judge in that court, in that seat, in those robes, with that gavel in his or her hand, have the wisdom of God? The answer is no. Do they access the wisdom of God? You better hope they do. They don't always, I'm sure, but you better hope they do. But do they have full access to the wisdom of God? No, not really. Unless that's a Christian up there. And then, I don't know if you'd take the case, right? (laughs) Probably go, let's go into chambers. What are you two doing? Why are you in my court? Get out of here and fix this. You're brethren. I don't want to see you in here again. If he's a Christian. But isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing what he says here? We look to win these battles, but we're losing the whole war, Paul says. That's the idea here. But we just don't care, right? I mean, honestly, by our actions, we say we just don't care. And that's a sad testament. Uh, It's just not like me to suffer being wronged. You wronged me, and I'm going to be mad about it. And I'm going to tell all my friends about it, and I'm going to Facebook about it for a while. And I'm even Instagram a couple of things, and I'll, I'll, I'll tweet, you know, everybody I know. I, I'm not going to face you, because I don't even want to look you in the face right now. Matthew 18, I just throw that out the window. I don't like being wronged. Right, and this is what truly is going through our minds, but we don't admit it. We hate being wronged. We hate suffering harm. 
We're not good with that. We're not willing to do that. The sister told me just this morning, she goes, you know, I, th- I have a feeling that somebody I know, not not brethren or anything, I'm, I would hope, <laughs> but uh, someone I know took took some of my 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 most prized possessions, you know, very, had a, a lot of meaning to me. And she goes, but I can't dwell on that. I can't allow that to, 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 you know, focus my walk. I can't, I can't do that. That'll tear me apart inside. And she's right. Have you ever had anybody break into your house? We, we, we suffered through that once. We broke into our apartment. We were moving out at the time, but it's very, it's an icky feeling. You know, you feel violated. Somebody has been into your your home, your your place of safety, your place of comfort, and they've they've done things they shouldn't have done. You know, they took stuff, stuff that was important to you. They just, you know, ugh. you know, and you, and you feel very bad about that, right? And you know that feeling, but does that control you? You know, that's just this. It's just one example. Is that what causes you to act? Brethren once told me, they said, hey, Joe, did you hear, this hasn't been too long ago, they said, did you hear about all these churches that are getting attacked? And I said, yeah, I've heard about that. People setting bombs and trash cans and, and shooting up the place. And, and he goes, they, he asked me, he goes, do you have an action plan for that at your, at your congregation? And I said, you know, we do. And he goes, well, what's your action plan? I said, we pray like the dickens. And he looks at me and he goes, well, what's that going to do? What's that going to do? Oh, yeah, don't you? Shouldn't you arm a couple of the a couple of the members of the AR-15s and sit them at the door? Oh yeah, that'll be inviting. Yeah, that's wonderful. Let's do that. You know, come in. You have to get you know checked out by the, the metal detector. You know, you know what? What are you carrying? Okay, hand out your pockets. Yes, we're glad you're here today. But let me see what's in your pockets. Yeah. No, no, that's not our action plan. <laughs> our action plan is total dependency upon God, and that is alien to the world, isn't it? That is absolutely alien to the world. And they said, well, don't you have brethren that, you know, are concealed carry in there? Maybe. I don't know. That's the why they call it that, right? If they're concealed carry, I'm not going to know, you know? So, yeah, they might be. But <laughs> what are we talking about here? Are we talking about worrying about just everything we shouldn't be worrying about, not wanting to suffer harm? We don't want to let anybody, we don't want anything. It's always counter to our human will to be completely dependent upon God. Is he more powerful or not? <clears throat> I don't know. Is he more powerful than that guy that set that bomb in that trash can? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you either believe that or you don't. A friend of mine gave me a book this week. You know, you're an English nerd and everybody gives you a book. I've been, you know, and I sometimes tell them I got too many. I can't, I can't catch up, keep up with them. Yeah. But, you know, I read them sometimes it's, uh, at school. I read them sometimes at home. But, you know, it has to be a little bit of time because, you know, life's too busy. I got a great book to read. I don't want to worry about those other ones. But I read this and it was, it was called The Four Agreements. You know, and I do not recommend it to you, to tell you the truth, because uh, <laughs> I'm not going to recommend it. But what I find interesting is that within the pages of this book, there are biblical principles and nobody wants to say they're biblical principles. 
It's a, I'm a philosopher and I've come to this conclusion. No, you didn't. God came to that conclusion. But I love reading this because, and I want to hand them to you real quick. I don't want you to read the book. Okay. It's not necessary because you can sum it up in this. You know the scriptures that go with this or you should. One of the things he says is have impeccable words. If the brethren at Corinth could have impeccable words, and that means words without sin, right? That's what the word actually means. If they could have words without sin in them, then then life would be completely different. There would be a loss of gossip. There would be a loss of insult. You wouldn't be insulting yourself. Remember we talked about that. You wouldn't be insulting somebody else. It's, it's having a mindset for insult. If I tear myself down all the time, people might say, oh, he's so cool. You know, his self-deprecation makes him so holy. No, it doesn't. It just means he's got a mindset for insult. Whether it's himself or somebody else, it's not a good mindset to have. And so let your words be impeccable. It also says, don't take things personally. Wait a minute, now what? Isn't that what Paul is saying to the Corinthians? So what do they do? I've even had brethren look at this and go, Joe, you know, he's talking about, you know, maybe a hundred bucks there. And I go, what, excuse me? You know, let's say you give your brother a hundred bucks in Christ, right? And he doesn't pay you back. That's what he's saying. Now, if it's like a thousand or five thousand or something like that, you know, you got to recoup. What is that? Where where was that? Did I miss that? If I got the wrong translation, was that when that part left out? He says to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Parentheses lest the amount exceed 5,000 denarii. He doesn't say that. It doesn't say anything like that. It's a foolish imposition on the Bible anytime we put something in there that's not in there. And I don't care what our justification is for. I would look at the person that gave away $5,000 and didn't uh, expect it back, and I would tell them, why are you mad? Well, I gave him $5,000. Well, whose fault was that? Oh, so you're blaming me? Well, if you can't lose it, this is what my dad used to tell me. If you can't lose it, don't give it away. And he said, simple, simple thing to remember. Somebody wants $500, you got $500, give them the $500, it's done. If they give it back to you someday, that's great. If they don't, forget about it. You didn't need it in the first place if you can lose it. If you can't lose it, you say, oh, I just don't have it, I'm sorry, but we'll try to, we'll work something out. You know, my dad was very practical in his thinking, you know, and he was very straightforward. And he would just, he told me that a lot. And he just said, it's just very simple. If you can't do it, don't do it. But, but when it falls apart, don't take things personally. We don't do that, do we? See, the Corinthian brethren weren't doing that. This also says, don't make assumptions. Well, I think that person is mad at me. So I'm going to be mad, right? <laughs> I think that person is lying. So I'm not going to talk to them anymore. You know, we, we do that all the time. We make assumptions. Again, Matthew 18 should be beaten into our heads and memorized. What does it say? Go to me. Are you mad at me? Oh, no, I'm not mad at you. I just have this look on my face all the time, you know. I have people tell me that all the time. Why are you frowning, Joe? Because I always frown. I'm sorry. Then I try to smile. You know, because I don't know I'm doing it. Have you ever seen those people that walk around like... 
What are you doing, Joe? Thinking, oh, am I frowning again? I'm sorry. You know, I'll raise the eyebrows. I don't mean to offend. You know, that nonverbal communication is kind of tough sometimes, you know, and, and I understand that. But, but why assume? Well, I think Joe's mad at me. Why? Well, he preached on liquor today and I was drunk last night, you know? <laughs> well, then you shouldn't have done that, you know? Don't get, don't get, you know, he's not preaching at you. He's preaching, hopefully, what the truth is from the scriptures. Don't make assumptions, right? And that last one that's in there again, always do your best. And this philosophical guru guy, who's really nothing, he says, and remember that this is going to change from moment to moment. Isn't that exactly what Jesus Christ says? If a cup of cold water I place in your hand, that's all, that's all that you have to do. That's all you have to give. That's it. If you have much, much is expected. If you have little, little is expected. <laughs> it's a very simple process, isn't it? Always do your best. Then you won't regret. Then you won't have anything to hold against anybody else. Biblical ideas, right? In the midst of a philosophy book, this guy made himself a millionaire writing this stuff. And you and I have trouble with the light bill. You know, that's okay. Because he's lying about it. Because the other stuff he puts in there is not righteous. And so you avoid that because your attitude, my attitude, is to be a quality attitude, right? Think about two Christians. In your mind right now, think about two Christians with such a mindset and they are in disagreement. What would it look like? Would they look angry? Would they be loud? Maybe. <laughs> but, but would they be dismissive to one another? See, that's the things that we get to be. That's the things that we are because of our mindsets. We get angry. We get loud. We get dismissive, right? Okay, we get all of those things. But how does that translate over? How does it translate over? That's the question. That's the question. Now answer this question, please. How would you or I react to a brother or sister willing to suffer so that you can have your way? I know you lent me that 500 bucks. I, I don't think there's any way I'm ever going to be able to pay it back. Don't worry about it. I love you. I'll make it back, I'm sure. And if you ever need it again, please ask me first. How would you react to that? Did you get mad at him? <laughs> you see, you see how that mindset works. This is what Paul is, is demanding. This is what he's saying. This is what works. It's uncommon wisdom. Somebody willing to suffer so you can have your way. Somebody willing to suffer so you can be satisfied. That's the wisdom of God that Paul is talking about. Suffer yourself to be defrauded? Suffer yourself to be wronged. we got bigger fish to fry here. Suffer it to be so. Why? Can anybody tell me why? That's how he suffered. 
That's exactly how Jesus Christ suffered. How do you regard Him? Are you happy that He suffered and died so that your soul could be saved from sin? I'm not happy about that. But I tell you what I am, I'm thankful for it. I'm not happy about it. The fact that He suffered and died and gave of Himself, how do we feel about that? Are you pleased by that? I'm not pleased by that. But, I sure am hopeful that I don't disappoint Him. Because He was so willing to do that. See, if we know that is our reaction to somebody who acts that way, how do we ever escape knowing that we have to act that way? That's what Paul is telling the Corinthians. It's a very simple thing. If I act this way, people will be thankful. Who will they see? They'll see Christ. In me. Wow. What an honor. If I act this way, will others be pleased? Maybe not, but but they sure, hopefully, will strive not to disappoint because they see Christ in me. And I'm willing to show them because He did that for me. And He did it for everybody. It's a quality attitude. But we forget ourselves. Isn't that what Paul writes? Look at verses 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. The fact is, it's extremely easy for us to trick our minds into believing lies. I was wrong. I must be vindicated. I have the true answer. I must win the argument. I'm older than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm more learned than you. You must respect me. I have been a Christian for 106 years. I must be revered. That's what we say in our heads. That's what we believe. We believe a lie. And Paul says that that is a mindset that forgets the similar mindset that you had when you were practicing all of these things. The point is, is that I may have repented of my sins, but did I change my sinful mind? I may have finally said to myself, oh, I'm not going for liquor anymore. Forget that. I'm going to get off those drugs. I'm not, I'm not, yeah, that sexual immorality, that fornication led nowhere. I'm not going to do it anymore. Good for you. Good for you. Put all that away. Now, did you change the mind that talked you into all of that? Did you do that too? That's the question. Because we say, well, we don't have sexually immoral problems anymore. I don't do that stuff anymore. Oh, I may watch it on the computer now and again. Or I may see it in a magazine, or or I may, you know, long for it, or miss the days that I had it. 
Can you imagine reminiscing over the times that you were deep in sin? People do it all the time. Boy, I remember. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Did we change our minds? We don't have an idolatry problem anymore, right? I don't worship pieces of wood or steel or silver or gold. I don't do that. Uh, I have a few hobbies. You know, I have hobbies. I have extra hours at work that I got to work so I can have more stuff. But I don't have idols anymore, right? Again, what's our mindset? Look at all of those things there. You know, I don't commit adultery. James 4 4 says you might be committing spiritual adultery. If you have any friendship, any concord, any agreement with the world, no, your mind's not pure yet. You haven't repented in a mindful way of the things you have done. Like the Corinthians, we, we sometimes assume what we've escaped, we've purified ourselves from. And that's not always the case. And Paul says this is solid evidence. In, and, and to add to it, they were dividing. They were entertaining fornication, right? They may not have been doing it themselves, but the guy that had his father's wife, eh. I think somebody said, he's probably just sowing his wild oats. I've heard Christians say that. I just, yeah. And it gives me chills up my spine. Well, you know, my son or my daughter, you know, they're doing this, that. But, you know, I figure it's just a phase. No, it's called hellbound in a, in a basket. You know, that, that's what that's called. And it has to be addressed. And it has to be handled. Otherwise, we are of this mindset, aren't we? And it's scary how easily we forget ourselves. And Paul says it clearly, doesn't he? 1 Corinthians 6.11 And such were some of you But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. It sometimes worries me because sometimes when we talk about sin, you know, brethren will go, well, Joe, you've read Romans, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I'm like, that's right. Have you ever noticed that sin has an ED at the end of it? It doesn't say all are sinning and falling short of the glory of God. He's saying specifically, all have sinned. And then John recertifies that, right? Reinforces that. People who are born of God don't keep on sinning. Sure, they've sinned. They are sinners in that, in that they have sinned. <laughs> but it's not something that they just keep wanting. It's not something that they keep desiring. It's not something that they keep going over and over and over again. And will they fail from time to time? Sure. But that failure is momentary, isn't it? It's just, it's just, it's not, oh, I'm going to do this for about a month and then I'll come back. No, this is, ooh, wait, I shouldn't be close to this. Run away from the fire. It's a totally different mindset than we often allow ourselves to believe is there. We are not all sinners right now. Hopefully. Which means, well, I do have the tendency to sin. I can sin. And I may sin. We know that. But what's it look like? 
How does it, how does it show itself? See, Paul says this, this is what's really at the bottom of everything. And he says it in Romans 12 and 2. Transform your minds. That's the idea. Transform means we're changing, right? It means we're, we're going along, we stumble and we get up and we move along. It doesn't mean pure perfection. We know that. But what are we talking ourselves out of? And what are we talking ourselves into? See, the Corinthians were talking themselves into a lot of things. And Paul says that is because our minds are unresolute. We have an identity crisis. Are we all sinners? And just understand that identity? Well, I'm a sinner. I told you there was a lady that was um, caught by, by a wife... And she had been committing adultery on her husband and she faced with it. And that was the lady's defense. Yeah, I'm a sinner. What does that mean? That's it. Period. At the end of it. I am. I'm going to keep doing it. You know. And I don't care. You know, what you say about it. End of a marriage. Right there. Done. Finished. Because I'm a sinner. And that's okay. No, it's not. No, it's not okay. Paul says why it's not okay. You were washed. You know, say you're digging in your yard, right? Digging in your yard, you want to put in a, I don't know, a sprinkler system or something. (laughs) You find a gold coin. You look at it and you go, that's a gold coin. What are you going to do with it? Yeah, throw it in the trash can. No, you're gonna wash it off. You're gonna you're gonna research it. You're gonna put it in a little box, you know, and then you're gonna say this must be important. You're gonna put it in a safe. You're gonna log. You're gonna do all those things. You're gonna wash it. You're going to set it apart, and you are going to value it and treasure it. That's what those three words mean. You are washed. You are sanctified and you are justified. Now Paul tells them, why are you going back? Why are you allowing these things to happen? Who do you think you are forgetting who you were? And where and how you came to Christ and how I came to Christ. Why do we do that? Well, the question comes to you and it comes to me. And we need to be resolved in our minds about exactly where we are at along that journey. Am I just denying who I am and just going along like I want to? You know, I don't think I have to be baptized into Christ for the remission of my sins. I don't care the Bible says that. I don't care about that. It doesn't make any sense to me. What's a bath got to do with salvation, right? I'm smarter than God. You know, just like that guy that wrote that book. Smarter than God, he thinks. No. No, not at all. Mm, do I believe? Do I want to repent? Am I ready to say, that was me, but no more? What are we willing to do? Are we willing to, leave, to live the lie and believe the lie? Or are we willing to turn from it, be faithful and be saved?
It's not rocket science. If it was, I couldn't do it. Because <laughs> that's a lot of math. And Joe does not math. Okay, so, but it's not. It's simple. It's straightforward. It's easy to remember. It's easy to know. All I have to do is be open to it. 